Well, a very good day to you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Entering Stage Right. I'm D. Paul Thomas, actor and playwright, podcasting from the heartland of America, right here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and joining me all the way from the left coast, but always entering stage right, is my wonderful co-host, the actor-director of some of the biggest hits in TV history, Philip Charles Mackenzie. And a, a very good day to you, Philip. How is everything going out in Los Angeles? Everything weather-wise is going, is going wonderfully. Uh, in fact, you know, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I need to give our listeners a little proof uh, um, to uh, support my whining and complaining about uh, May and June gloom, uh, never having seen the sun and it being so cold and everything. And, you know, most of our listeners throughout the world are going, yeah, Southern California, we feel so sorry for you. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> but, um, but here's an interesting fact of what happened this week. Uh, yeah. and what, what was uh, um, uh, put out uh, this week Um in, uh, in, 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 it has been so unseasonably cool for the past two months here in Southern California that um, from May 1st to June 29th, that's a 60-day stretch, that the high temperature mm-hmm. in downtown Los Angeles, not where I live, downtown Los Angeles, yeah. did not reach 80 degrees. Oh my! This is the longest recorded streak of days with high temperatures below 80 during May and June in downtown Los Angeles since, are you ready folks, 1878. And the previous streak of 59 days was in 1916. And it sort of flies in the face of, somebody put on the news this week, it's been the hottest day on in history, which is based on nothing. And then Bernie Sanders jumped on that naturally and says the hottest day in history. And we all have to, you know, do what we have to do. But, you know, what the the media fails to, this is just a little backup, what the media, uh, uh, a little... um, a little story that the media failed to deal with it is a huge, brutal cold wave yeah. has, has swept northern India, blanketing streets in fr- this is India, yeah. blanketing streets in freezing fog, intensifying pollution, disrupting hundreds of flights and things. And there are all kinds of other things. It's the highest, coldest day. Uh, back in December was the coldest day in New Delhi in 119 years. Oh, so oh anyway, goodness. but um, yeah. no, we, we are we are still yeah. actually we are still having cool mornings and lovely lovely afternoons. But but that was uh, we um, pretty amazing record for yeah, for yeah. Southern California uh, well, in, for two months. Well, and and uh, it's interesting because uh, obviously everybody who is experiencing the uh, the heat wave extraordinaire where it does exist in the uh, southern part of the country uh, is envious of you. But, you know, when you talked about Bernie Sanders saying, we have to do what we have to do, I just thought, it sounds like Kamala Harris to me. Well, you know what we have to do. We just have to do what we have to do because when we think about what we do, we know what we have to do, and therefore, By- let's do it. 
by doing it. Uh, by doing it, we have to do what we do by doing it. Yes, yes. Uh, she. Uh, I, I, I don't. I, I don't know where she took elocution lessons. But, but uh, well, uh, you know, maybe just logic one hundred and one. Uh, you know, she she has uh, some uh, issues that certainly transcend uh, the rhetorical in nature. Also, just uh, as far as being able to put together a cogent sentence, seemingly. Yeah. Well, I digress. Don't, don't, uh, uh, let's not put her on the debate team. Well, let's come, <laughs> let's let's come back just for the heck of it uh, to the California Reparations Task Force. This is the ah, one that yes. that, as part of its now, it's now it's uh, it, it appears to be done an eleven hundred page document. Mm. This is the one where they demand reparations of right. uh, a, a certain salary a year, um, you know, and cash out payments, and, and which will go on for two hundred and fifty years. This insane thing, and even if you. didn't live um, in California at a certain time, you could still get it. This is that. But the final, one of the final um, little bits of beauty that the uh, state legislature and Gavin Newsom, let's see what they do with this, are going to be faced with is um, the task force is, 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 is insisting on getting, eliminating interest on past due child support as well uh. as as well as any back child support debt for black residents of the state mm. they find these laws discriminatory and have torn the african american families apart and i'm saying to myself what do you mean you tore the african what what tore the african american families apart oh oh wait a minute wasn't it uh wasn't it uh, the the uh, uh, after the uh, uh, Civil Rights Act when uh, when it was encouraged to have black families be apart and so the women could make more money? We didn't didn't it come from that? And and uh, so so this they uh, they also yes. claim that ten per, it, it it's mostly on the interest. Now let's look at that for a second. The interest means you're not paying. Mm-hmm. It's like with a credit card. If you get the credit card bill of five hundred a month, if you pay five hundred bucks, you're not paying any interest, correct? But if you only pay thirty bucks, forty bucks, you're you are adding. You have to pay interest as well, and in fact, this the uh, the Department of Child Support Services in California has estimated that twenty seven percent of owed child support. This is throughout the state. Uh, mm-hmm. not just black, was unpaid interest, that those who owed child support were um, 27%. So it means that you are not paying your child support. Therefore, the amount you have to pay accruing interest is even more. So I, I just thought this is, this is going mm-hmm. to be interesting when this, when, mm-hmm. this whole, when this whole deeply thought out uh, 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 reparations task force hits the uh, legislature in California, which is going to cost trillions of dollars. And where what they're going to do with this? This is going to be a, a real fun thing. So that's our California thing this week. And don't you realize every time I do a California thing, it gets worse and worse. This state is in a very, <laughs> very bizarre well, place. Yeah, but hey, you know, I've got a question for you, and I, I literally, it's not rhetorical in nature at all because. We're going to be moving in here quickly to the demise of affirmative action. And uh, we touched on it last week. There were so many good decisions coming down from uh, SCOTUS that we made reference to it, of course, 
but I we're going to go into it a little more detail. But I, I am curious because I had forgotten, and I don't even know when it was and so forth, but your fair state, certainly geographically, etc., um, they, they canceled affirmative action somewhere along the line. Is that correct? You have me at a disadvantage. I believe, I believe back in the 70s, maybe early yes, 80s, yeah. it, it was, it was, I, I, I saw something like that. But, but, but don't, don't ever, let's not ever let anything uh, such as the uh, Supreme Court uh, ruling um, uh, get in the way of the left wanting to continually find a way around uh, the law. Oh, yes, um, yes, you know, yes, and, yeah. and, and it's like if whatever they don't like that the Supreme Court says, well, the hell with that, we're going to ignore it and we're going to find yeah. our way around. Well, you know, if, to, to your point, uh, obviously, the, one of the biggest... Um, uh, rulings the Supreme Court handed down at the end of the term was the uh, was the uh, ruling on uh, affirmative action at Harvard and uh, uh, University of North Carolina uh, and, and a suit that was brought by Asians uh, and um, and 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 this is having this is having fallout. The left is the left is just going apoplectic is uh, uh, is apoplectic about this. But, yes, you yeah. know we've been looking at some. I've been looking at some things, and let's let's look at the history of this. And you know there there, there are always two things that go on. There is the narrative which the left holds onto about any of their uh, ideological. Uh, um, uh, thoughts and ideas and plans and the facts and data based. So let's look at a little of this. Back in in the sixties, affirmative action uh, became was advanced because women and minorities with similar skills of those white men were being discriminated against in landing jobs. Mm -hmm. And the object of affirmative action was to level the playing field. Uh, for people of, with similar skill levels. Mm -hmm. Remember mm -hmm. that. And over the years, the studies have shown that women actually benefited most from affirmative action and not black Americans. Uh, and, and, and going back to what I said a minute ago, Lyndon Johnson's war on poverty, this was the beginning of a, I'll call it, you know, everybody is talking about systemic racism. Well, I'm going to think about this. Call this has been a systematic entrenching of phony affirmative action and putting black Americans in a worse and worse place over time since Lyndon Johnson's war on poverty. The first thing was, as we've talked about, um, they uh, Af black women could get more money from the government than it, they could uh, if they had their work if if their husbands were at home working so actually if these husbands were working they couldn't have access to government benefits so the fathers left home and as we've talked about before 1960 22 percent of uh, black families had uh, 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 were were um, uh, single families, and now yep. they're in the upper 70s. So that that's number one. Second, democratically, overwhelmingly democratically led cities promised everything. We'll give you this. We'll give you that. You know the old thing to get votes. We'll give you everything, and they end up with nothing except slums and hopelessness. And then critical race theory was the most recent one, which mm. just entrenches into black people that 
you by the color of your skin are oppressed and the color of a white person's skin it makes them the oppressor but now let's look at some facts about this columbia university's poverty poverty tracker mm -hmm. um revealed that 23 percent of new york city's asian population was impoverished compared to 19 percent of the city's black population so Asians' uh, relatively high rate comes with exceptionally low crime rates and also with exceptionally high academic accomplishment. Uh, uh, so, so the question comes, why is this going on? Um, um, according to the Census Bureau, again, these are facts, not, not just uh, uh, narratives. Uh, it, mo in, in most black intensive school districts, they get the most money for education averaging over $28,000 per pupil. So what's going on? Why aren't black students performing as, as, as well as they should? And now um, an interesting man, Professor John Agbu, who is a Nigerian uh, uh, anthropologist and, and scientist, did a study that that, based, that that essentially says it has become cultural. And again, let's go back to the late 60s. And when something becomes pounded and pounded into your head, it gets into your soul. It can tend to get into your soul and become a cultural thing. Now, this, this is John Ogbu, a black man, a Nigerian, said black students, he did a study, black students readily admit that they didn't work as hard as whites took easier classes and read fewer books. But why? They said it's not cool to be successful or to work hard to show how smart you are. Mm. Now, um, Michelle mm. Obama in her book talked about when she was growing up in, in, in Chicago that their family was an intact family. She had a brother, a mother, and a father. And she, back in, I guess, the 60s or 70s, probably with Forget, I, I, forgive me, I don't know her actual age, but essentially saying that her friends and kids in the neighborhood made fun of her because she spoke well and that it was more, uh, more uh, to their benefit uh, to, 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 uh, to, to not show that you might have a brain in your head and be educated. So, I mean, even Michelle Obama uh, has, has, has talked, talked about, about the this. cool factor. The cool talked factor. about the cool factor, right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, there's an, another um, a study, operation, uh, I'm sorry, Opportunity Myth, Yes, I saw that. Yes, concluded that teachers who believe students are capable give students grade-level work. Teachers who believe students aren't give their students below-grade work. Students know if their teachers believe their students can succeed, and that determines the student's motivation to learn or not. So and, this, is, this and, goes... And Philip, this go, go ahead, please. No, please, no, but please. I was just going to say, in that study... Because I was looking at it this week also, the Opportunity Myth Organization study, which is hardly a conservative organization. If you go to their website, I can assure you. But they found that 40% of classes with mostly minority students never received even one grade level assignment. In other words, they're being undertaught continuously. 
They're being taught under uh, under taught uh, exactly, and that is going back to what you said is 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 the the, the uh, of low expectations, yeah. and we've also talked about this too. And this is you ask most teachers, they they come along, just pass them along, pass them along. Whether they can do grade level work, pass them along, pass them along, which then that embeds itself to my way of thinking in in into. The, the 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 mind and minds and the souls of 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 the black community now let's look at the contrast to that the opposite of that it was i think it began in the early to mid 90s the first one there there are more than just the one but there was a, a um, uh, in chicago a um, a, a private charter school that was created for black students, and they asked them to come. They recruited these students to come from 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 the ghetto, from wherever, and and the because they focused on real learning and the challenge of learning, and not just the um, uh, the, 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 the 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 lower expectations, the 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 academic accomplishments of these students went through the roof and they were able to go to colleges they were able to go to good colleges because they got the education which every person in this country who wants to aspire to any kind of life has to get and that is where the mm. left falls down mm. they don't mm. care about education they just want enough bodies of black bodies in harvard to say look how good we are yeah and and as i said to you the other day in a private conversation yeah. i it, what fries me is our do-gooders and to me, there's a real difference in the in this world of do-gooders yeah. and people who do good. Yeah. And the political left are a bunch of do-gooders who want to throw money at it and 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 get votes. That's it at at the expense of the black community. Well, it's it's uh, it's interesting. That's, we almost got into uh, the 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 uh, uh, forerunner of what happens. By, uh, by virtue of the fact uh, of of how it is that affirm, affirmative action seemed to be necessary, and that's obviously because our K through twelve educational system is so profoundly failing uh, the the African American community across the board. It's interesting, though. Uh, Black Wilford Riley. Uh, the uh, professor of political science at the University of Kentucky there, uh, he, he was writing an essay about uh, the demise of affirmative action. And uh, he ends up his, his essay by saying, across all races and eras, there has never been a fairer system than may the best man win. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. That's a you great know. point. Yeah, yeah. Now let, let me. I was I was telling you the other day. I just I just found this. So we're talking about how the left has destroyed in many ways, of uh, great portions, not all, of course, of the black community. Listen to Malcolm X. This is a quote of Malcolm X from the '60s, because right. he was uh, assassinated in '65, '66. Yeah. But this is what Malcolm X said: as radical as he appeared to to so many people. This is a quote of Malcolm yeah, X. Yeah. The liberal is more deceitful than the conservative. The liberal is more hypocritical than the conservative. 
Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship, allegiance, and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or tool in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. Politically, the American Negro is nothing but a football. And the white liberals control this mentally dead ball through, tr yeah, through tricks of tokenism, false promises of integration, and civil rights. Mm. This was Malcolm X. And uh, mm -hmm. about, uh, uh, well, it speaks for itself. I'm not going to add anything uh, more No, to it. but it's powerful. I'm just so glad oh. you, you, you brought it uh, to our attention. Uh, because he uh, uh, almost prophetically could see how uh, this was going to become a, a political issue, uh, you know, uh, and how the game was played. He and, saw the yeah, game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, just a, a bravo, a bravo, first of all, to the Supreme Court, who on Thursday uh, of last week, yeah, on the twenty ninth. Of June, the Supreme Court voted 6-3 that race-based admissions violated the Equal Protection Clause. That's part of the 14th Amendment, folks. Remember, it goes all the way back to 1868, essentially ruling that affirmative action is at heart unconstitutional. And I say bravo also, Philip, to uh, Edward Bloom's conservative nonprofit organization. And even though, yes, there were many uh, 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 minority uh, students involved in that, and his organization is just that, the Students for Fair Admissions. Uh, Bloom is a fascinating character. He's a former stockbroker. He lives on the coast of Maine, and his organization now has 20,000 strong. And I think this is the positive thing. He is also focusing, Philip, on eradicating race-based initiatives throughout various aspects of American life, including employment diversity programs, corporate board diversity quotas, and government contracting requirements. And what I find so fascinating, and this from a New York Times, New York Times poll, showed a surprising consensus among the three political voting blocks as it pertained to this decision to private colleges and universities. 78% of the Republicans were for it, 72% of independents, and 58% of Democrats opposed the affirmative action. Isn't that something? Well, that's that, uh, actually to have fifty-eight percent of the Democrats is 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 uh, that's a pretty astounding number. Uh, it again, is, as you said, coming from the New York Times, which uh, you can know, one, polling, one, yeah. one can be always suspect of their of their polling. Yeah. But, but you, you know, you know what this also comes it comes to the, the, one of the reason that universities are 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 up in arms about this mm -hmm. is and and they are insisting that they are going to continue to 
find ways to remediate past discrimination and, 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 and dedicated to equity, which is the most bizarre term ever, as opposed to equality. School after school, university president after university president yeah. this past week has said basically all the same thing. But guess what? They get money. It's worth their while. They and 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 this is this is one of their workarounds. They're starting to uh, get rid of uh, SAT and ACT oh, yeah. tests. They can start to become optional. In fact, during the pandemic, hundreds of colleges made entrance exams optional, and there is a growing push to make change the change permanent. And also, we're talking about. Uh, the the uh, um, uh, DEI uh, officers that they hire, right, some making right. over four hundred thousand dollars a year at a university. So mm -hmm. this has become big business, yes. and and again, it it becomes big business. It follows their narrative and their parochial needs, and don't give a damn about the actual young people. Yeah. And yeah. what they need. And, you know, uh, ju just to put a button on this, uh, um, you know, and you and I have spoken of this. It, it's starting education when they are young, real education, not just passing them along and not allowing the teachers unions to 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 control the action because their raison d'etre is themselves. So, you know, given all things being equal, as an example, these charter schools that have taken uh, black students from all walks of life and given them the opportunity and the push to learn and succeed. It can happen. And it starts back in kindergarten, and it also starts with intact families. Amen. Of, of, of a husband, of yeah. a father and a mother no. taking, taking their children to school and being involved in the school and involved in their child's life. A double, a double amen to both, and uh, you're so correct about uh, uh, the schools and universities and hopes of uh, salvaging their diminishing fortunes as a result of this. Uh, uh, indeed, the college board itself, they've, uh, they've hopped on board the bandwagon, and you will find disguised uh, uh, the uh, SAT digitation project is... Uh, the disclosure that test items will be removed if different races perform differently on them. And uh, one commentator talked about, and I found this fascinating, and it's kind of a sidebar, Let me, but let me go on it, Philip, for just a moment. The college board thus aims to create what they call the Harrison Bergeron test, rigged to equalize outcomes by race and i thought what 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 is the harrison bergeron test and i looked it up this morning and uh i i, I here, here i am in kurt vonnegut's hometown and they've got a glorious library here for him but harrison bergeron philip was a short story by Kurt Vonnegut that was published in 1961 and in his short story it is the year 2081, and because of amendments, new amendments that have been passed, Amendment 211, 212, and 213 to the Constitution, every American now is fully equal, meaning that no one is stupider, no one is uglier, 
No one is weaker. No one is slower than anyone else. And in charge is the handicapper general and a team of his agents to ensure that the laws of equity are equally enforced throughout the land, including taking possession of your children as needed. So liberal Kurt Vonnegut maybe again prophetically saw what was going to happen under uh, these systems with uh, DEI and affirmative action that maybe there was in the beginning, and I'm thinking of my own liberal days, uh, a a seed uh, that was good in nature. It soon became quota systems. It soon became so distorted that uh, that's why the majority of Americans are opposed to it. You know, contra that, uh, uh, meaning uh, uh, Vonnegut, uh, we, we, we yeah. accomplished Eden. <laughs> we, we, yeah. have, we have accomplished perfection, which is what human beings have been trying to do for thousands of years. Now, he, here's an example to me. Yeah. There's a guy, he's, he's an attorney, and he's well known in California, in Southern California, yeah. because he's been on uh, TV a lot over the years. If there was a, a a debate between a liberal and a conservative attorney, Edwin Irwin, rather, Ch- Chemerinsky, Irwin Chemerinsky yeah. was this guy. Well, and this is an attorney. Yeah. He happens now to be the dean of Berkeley Law. Right. And listen to what he described. Listen yeah. to this. This, yeah. this is what this is evil to me. He said how he has secretly. This is an attorney. He has secretly enacted a policy of racial discrimination in faculty hiring, which, as you indicated earlier, DePaul, is illegal in California. He says, if he is ever deposed, he will state that he is going to deny I said this. Mm. Think about that. This is a liberal yeah. attorney. Yeah. If he is deposed, he will lie. What yeah. a hell of an attorney he is. <laughs> and this guy is the dean of Berkeley Law. So that, that is the, ex- he is, he, that sentence represents to me the extreme of the, of the perversity of this, this whole scam. Well, Philip, you're, and, 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 and that's the reason, and we're uh, throwing out a few people here that we've been looking at that, uh, uh, editorial writer for Front Page magazine, and that's Horowitz's magazine, I believe, uh, right? Uh, yes, yes, David yeah, Horowitz, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, Front Bruce page. Bruce Thornton, uh, of course, who affirmed the Supreme Court decision across the board, but he wrote that it is going to take a lot more lawsuits adjudicated in the Supreme Court to stop universities from violating the Constitution and the Civil Rights Act in order to ensure equality under the law. Which, by the way, Philip, it's just going to move me right into a brief PS before you get to yours because I want you to comment on it. And that is uh, 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 making reference to Stephen Miller. Now, Stephen Miller was formerly a senior advisor to Donald Trump in the White House. He's a pundit all all the time, on uh, certainly on, on Fox. And I'm not necessarily a fan of his, but I am appreciative of the organization he has started called America First Legal, and his organization has, and this has been done, written 
to the deans of 200 law schools, threatening them with legal action if they violate Thursday's Supreme Court ruling banning affirmative college action, uh, action in college admissions. So the judiciary, Philip, is going to have to... We are a country of laws. That's right. And the judiciary is going to have to take... Uh, and lawyers, organizations uh, 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 like Stephen Miller's, the initiative to make sure that... Um, I'm sorry, the president of the, was it the Berkeley Law School? Is that correct that you said? Erwin Chemerinsky, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, you know, even though they may be hell-bent and committed to circumvent and in essence break the law, we're going to hold them accountable. Well, this goes back to what we've been talking about and we talked about a few weeks ago. And, and, and uh, it's, a, it's an image. It's, it, it's a, an illustrative image. And we talked about the pendulum, how the pendulum swings yes, back yes, and forth, yes. you know, from left to right over the ages. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I think uh, what, uh, uh, Mr. Miller's organization, as we've talked about, this is not just time for a pendulum, a natural swing of the pendulum. You have to fight. You have to fight them at their game. You have to get in there and fight them at their game, which if they want to bring lawsuits, we will bring lawsuits and play this game. So so great kudos to Stephen Miller. I think that's great. And which leads me yes, sir. Uh, into the uh, another of the, uh, well, this wasn't a Supreme Court, but this is the, uh, uh, a federal judge, Terry Doty, uh, in the, the Western District of Louisiana, issued an injunction last week. This is huge. This is, I believe this is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, takes direct aim at the government media censorship complex. Now we've talked about this, how the government would, would talk, would tell Twitter uh, before Musk and tell Facebook and tell all these things, what you can say, don't print that. Don't put that on there. Don't do this. So as, uh, which is basically colluding the 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 government uh, is is colluding in suppressing dissent and by the way especially conservative dissent that judge doty ordered the biden administration and its executives to cease any coordination with social media companies uh, I'll just read a little bit from it for our readers to get a, a taste of what we're talking about the plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits in establishing that the government has used its power to silence the opposition. Opposition to COVID-19 vaccines, opposition to COVID masking and lockdowns, opposition to the lab leak theory of COVID-19, opposition to the validity of the 2020 elections, opposition to President Biden's policies, statements about Hunter Biden's laptop story that mm. were true, and opposition to policies of the government officials in power. All were suppressed. Now, what's really telling here is each of these examples were conservative in nature. Mm -hmm. So this targeted suppression of conservative ideas is a perfect example of viewpoint discrimination of political speech. American citizens have the right to engage in free speech about the significant issues affecting the country. And Judge Doty said something, these are pretty strong words, the United States government seems to have assumed the role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth. 
So mm. this this is a mm. big deal that happened yes. this week of of of, of saying not only uh, is the government. Um, you know, by the way, you, you can agree, you, you don't have to agree with what is being said. The whole thing about free speech is, is, is the freedom of, of, of speech is for speech that you might hate. It's speech that you disagree with. That's, that, yes, that's a better way of putting it, absolutely. <laughs> and Judge Doty this week, did I, I think, uh, really, really put the, uh, the, uh, the federal he, he government did. on did. notice. But, really but, did. And, and, so and, he's and, my hero in a way. Well, we'll get to our joined here on just a moment, but I want to add to that by only underscoring uh, a classic of example of that. We don't have to look any further than Karine uh, 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 Jean-Pierre, uh, you know, the press spokesperson there at the White House uh, regarding cocaine gate. I mean, it's like they, they want to just completely suppress that entire thing. Uh, the goalpost, the story, the narrative has moved three or four times. And, um, you know, even though in some ways I do not consider it a significant thing, oh my goodness, what a surprise. Cocaine was found, you know, uh, 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 in the operational room or whatever the latest room they've identified it. But here's what I find interesting. In an interview with former FBI agent and acting commissioner, of the Customs and Border Protection Agency, Mark Morgan, he said of cocaine gate, as it's being termed, the White House cocaine mystery should take about 30 minutes to solve. I was there countless times. I put my cell phone in that exact box that they're talking about. I know it well. Oftentimes, there's a Marine that's standing there. This literally should take about 30 minutes to solve, Morgan said this past Wednesday. <laughs> but the official word, the official word from the government, meaning whoever this Jean-Pierre is, uh, the official word is that, what? It's the old, what elephant? Yeah. I, I, what? What? We don't, oh, yeah. we don't know anything. And not only that, it's disgusting of you, she used a different word, which I can't think of, uh, reprehensible or something, of you to even ask. How dare you ask? I, I, She's talking to the media. And yeah. you know what most of them in the room there, most of the media do? They go, oh, okay. Yeah, but, now, but, what is that about? Yeah, but listen, listen, this No is pressure not, there. Yeah. If, like this, you, you said to me in private the other day, can you imagine if this is one of the Trump kids? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. And, of course, everybody would just assume it was. Uh, 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 a Trump kid, if if uh, right. his mo was anything uh, close to uh, uh, Hunter Biden's, no question, no, 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 no. And you know, another one for an example regarding this whole media collusion, and that's just a thought I had uh, this week. I mean, one of the big things going on that really the press, the main press, has given scant attention to are these riots in France, and I think. The reason it's not getting as much attention as it should is in some ways by controlling, moderating the press on it. That way we'll, we'll, we'll prevent the whole story over there as being perceived uh, as Islamophobic because so much of the rioting has been done in the, in the uh, banyus, the minority Muslim neighborhoods surrounding Paris, and, and throughout and, and throughout the country, and Marseille, and, and, various other, absolutely. And 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 their protest of a young Algerian being killed by the police. They that it's almost like their George Floyd moment, and it's amazing. 
what little press there has been about it, and it's been huge. Well, that's what you and I have talked about, you know, about the, one of the, uh, I think, one of the, uh, uh, the, the, the main indictments against our uh, corporate media uh, is uh, in terms of controlling information. It's not what you talk about, it's also what you don't talk about. So if they don't talk about what's happening in France, yes. meaning a country burning down, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if they don't talk about it, it doesn't exist, does it? Yeah, 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 no. Hey, Philip, uh, lead us right into our uh, joint uh, hero, if you will. Well, that's what we were just talking about. Yeah. Is our judge who issued this injunction. Oh, right, right, right. (laughs) That was our joint. I've already done it. (laughs) Oh, boy, you have. Yeah. I'll I'll say his name again. Uh, Western District uh, of Louisiana Federal Judge Terry Doty, D-O-U-G-H-T-Y. I hope I pronounced that right. But he is our, I believe, he should be our joint hero this week, too, uh, for having having, uh, issued this incredibly important injunction having to do with free speech in, 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 in this country. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, it has been uh, a very encouraging season. Ultimately, in that essay, and perhaps I'll even post it in our letter that goes out to our podcast by Wilfred Riley, or at least where people can, can read it. Uh, that sounds good, p- sounds good. And because his point is that this decision by the Supreme Court, ultimately, if we will take responsibility, is going to help the minority communities throughout the nation. You know, you just you, you bring up a really good point. Take responsibility. What the left has been doing, and let's go back over what we've been talking about today. What the left has been doing since the, since the mid '60s is is taking responsibility away from the black community and saying, as as Malcolm X said, we'll take care of you. What doesn't that sound like a plantation uh, um, ideology that we will take care of you? You know, citizenship requires responsibility from each individual citizen. It doesn't have to be on a huge level, but it's go to work, you know, do your job, create something, pay your taxes and live your life. That is taking responsibility as a, as, as an American citizen. Yeah. And the left has spent so much time saying, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. When essentially, when in, in actuality, rather, they have, they have, they have, uh, aided and abetted uh, a destruction of a, a tremendous uh, 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 part of the black community. Yeah. Again, of course, not all, not all by any means, but, but, but enough to, uh, an, an, enough to uh, uh, um, corrupt uh, so much of our country. Well, and, uh, you know, again, I just find it encouraging that people like Wilfred Riley and so many other outstanding uh, African Americans are saying enough is enough. No, we're not buying into the fact that if we don't vote this way, we ain't black. It's no longer going to hold up. We will go our way, and we and and this is the reason why you know the the numbers uh, even for Trump right now within the minority communities just keep rising. 
They just keep rising. So it's going to be fascinating to see how all that plays out. But, Philip, this is it for now. Uh, the old Scoobell reminds us that it's about time to say goodbye to all of our listeners. And in way of reminder, friends, regardless of what is going on in this crazy, topsy-turvy world of ours, uh, we trust you had a great 4th of July because we do live in a great country, because it is a free country, we can speak our minds, we can speak them clearly, and uh, hopefully with uh, uh, no uh, malevolent results coming our way, a la Kurt Vonnegut's uh, prediction. So stay strong and uh, stay stay cool and go to Southern California if you want to relax and stay cool. Yeah, we're yeah. freezing here. <laughs> We've got so much to be thankful for. I'm thankful for you, Philip, and for you, dear listeners. So till we meet again, this is D. Paul Thomas and Philip Charles McKenzie <laughs> inviting you to join us next week for another podcast of Entering Stage Right.